Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. Would you turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 10? That's a good Southern Baptist text, isn't it? Romans, chapter 10. And we will commence the reading around verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. How then shall they preach except they be sent? Father, we thank you for the anointing that we feel flooding this house right now. We thank you for the utterance in the spirit tonight. Feed us. Great shepherd of the sheep, feed us by your spirit tonight and show us what we need to know. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a very familiar text. It's interesting, this phenomenon called preaching and really what we have today is probably not quite the same as what the Apostle Paul knew or what he did or even what Jesus did. If you read like the Sermon on the Mount, it seems very to the point and, you know, there doesn't seem to be a lot of the chasing rabbits and stuff like I do and a lot of preachers do. And this this modern phenomenon of preaching really kind of has its roots back uh, with people like in the United States anyway, Billy Sunday was a great revivalist and he could preach to crowds of tens of thousands and that was before they had PA systems. And God just anointed him and he had a very loud voice. There's a couple of videos that are available of him. I don't know if they have sound or not, but he's very demonstrative with his hands and very animated, you know, and like I guess he would have been the first televangelist since he was the first one recorded on film preaching. And so this thing that we have today, and, and growing up in a Pentecostal church, and I grew up in a, I mean, we were Pentecostal. I mean, let me tell you, I mean, you know, our ladies wore the beehives and the, the whole deal and, you know, no makeup, no jewelry. We had very ugly women in our church. <laughs> we really did. Thank God for liberty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God for liberty. There's, you know, there's still a few around today, and bless their darling hearts. I, you know, they got that stuff. One, one lady, a friend on Facebook, don't go looking her up. <clears throat> and, oh boy, she's a pastor's wife, and oh my gosh, she can sing. This woman can flat bring the house down. And boy, she's got that stuff. She's blonde, and she's it's just... You're like, how does she do that? How does she defy gravity like that? And, they, 
And then some of the little Pentecostal girls, you know, United Pentecostal girls and Apostolic girls, they've got videos on YouTube of real quick buns. And they're not talking about cinnamon rolls either. And they have... <laughs> I found some by accident one day, and I thought, what is she doing? And this girl, I mean, she had hair way down here. And she had that stuff, and you pull it up here, and you rat this over there, and pull that over there. I mean, she's pulling it all up there, and boom, presto. I mean, she's got this stuff piled on her head. And it's instruction videos for Pentecostal girls, how to get that stuff up high and quick. Well, hey, whatever it takes, you know. <laughs> Looks pretty good when they get done, but you want to you walk around thinking it's going to fall and you want to help them, you know. We were Pentecostal. And we had some preaching. But we were of the mistaken idea that we were supposed to preach doctrine. And so when you go back and you listen to a lot of the recorded sermons, and I've got some that my parents collected from way back in the 70s, and some of them are fantastic. Some of them, you just don't want to listen to at all. <laughs> They're that bad. But they would preach like a house on fire and throw the Pentecostal doctrine into it and the, and the combative stuff, to you know, got to combat the Baptists after all, and even combat the other Pentecostals, you know, the oneness have to preach against the assemblies of God, and the assemblies of God have to preach against the oneness. I mean, it, you know, everybody's divided, and I don't know what it is about division, but people like it. Look at our political stuff going on today. People like it. They're as divided as they could ever be. <clears throat> Always have been, really. People talk about, well, this politician's sure being talked about ugly. You go back and look at some of the pamphlets from the third presidential, well, actually been the, the fourth presidential election. John Adams against Thomas Jefferson. And they were friends. They were good friends. And Jefferson wrote some of the ugliest stuff you ever read in your life about John Adams, said he was a hermaphrodite. He did. That's what he said. And, and put it in pamphlets, and they, and they distributed it all over the, the 13 states at the time. And uh, John Adams thought, why would my friend do that? He wanted to win. He won. <laughs> he won. So I mean politics, but hallelujah. But preaching... And getting doctrine in there. When the word doctrine really means teaching. That's what doctrine means, teaching. So it's almost an oxymoron to say, I'm going to preach teaching. That doesn't sound quite right, does it? When by nature of the word, teaching is to be taught. Is this too deep for you? You all right? Don't want to drown you now. Teaching should be taught. I'm going to try to teach a little tonight and not get too carried away, but teaching should be taught. Preaching means to declare something. And what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 10, when they go out to preach, the purpose of the preaching here is so that somebody gets saved. If you look at that backwards, it says they're sent to preach so that people will hear, so that they'll believe. Then they'll call. Then they'll be saved. 
And the purpose of our preaching is for the salvation of people, not to try to indoctrinate or to instruct the church. And we've kind of got stuff mixed up here. And I think the Holy Spirit in these days is beginning to straighten us out on some things. As you see preachers that used to just scream and holler, they seem to have toned it down a little bit because what's happening is, besides wearing their voices out, they realize that their sheep are not fed. Three times Jesus asked Peter after His resurrection, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. He didn't say preach to them. He said feed them. I was thinking about that the other day because I, I, I went and I ministered somewhere and I'll be honest with you, some of the folks there, they weren't very likable. It's not like here. I love everybody here. Everybody here is great. Everybody here loves me. I hope that at least they act like they do. I don't know what you do when I leave. Maybe you talk ugly about me like Nathan. He'll talk ugly about me behind my back. <clears throat> but Jason's my friend, and he can whoop you. <laughs> so you better behave yourself. <clears throat> if you ever hear him talking ugly about me, whoop him for me. You're going to let Jonna whoop him? I know Jonna can whoop him. <laughs> Just ask her husband, Jonna can whoop him. Ooh, I'm meddling that now. <clears throat> Feed my sheep. And I thought the other day, Lord, these people, I mean, because some of them are just ugly to me. I've been there before and found out they said ugly things. And I went, you know, and I'm thinking, you got to love them. I don't really want to love some of the sheep. Hey, if you pastor very long, you'll find out you really don't want to love some of the sheep. It really is a sacrifice. Are you listening? Not Heather. She loves everybody. Jesus said, Peter, or what he did not say was, Peter, do you love these sheep? Feed them. No. Peter, do you love me? then feed my sheep. They're not the pastor's sheep. They're not the deacon board sheep. Whatever church you're in, if they call on the name of Jesus, they are His sheep. And if I love Him, whether I like you very much or not, because I love Him, I will do my best to feed you. And that takes a load off of my mind. Hallelujah. Preaching. Why do we preach? Why? <clears throat> Pastor Eric asked me to speak to his homiletics class a few months ago. And on my way over to Christ for the Nations, I was thinking, well, what am I going to talk to them about? Because you know, there's all kinds of things you could talk about with preaching. Preaching, you know, it, like I said, it goes, it's, it's different here now. You know, it started probably the 19th century the way it is now with all the animation and everything to it. But it goes way, way, way back. In fact, the word homiletics kind of gives it away. If you go to a Catholic church, you'll hear a priest or a bishop. Or if you go to the Vatican, you'll even hear the Pope sometimes. They give what they call a homily. Homily. And it's the same root as the word homiletics. 
it's a sermon. The Pentecostal churches, we called it the message. He's going to preach the message. And really that implies kind of a prophetic uh, connotation to it that we've been before God and He spoke to us and we have a message. You understand? And so pastors I know of, they're wondering why their church doesn't grow when I get a message every Sunday. I get a message. I said, don't get a message. Teach them a subject. Teach them something out of the Word. A, a mature saint is not one that just gets a message every Sunday. They may shout you down. and might feel real good when they leave, but they have nothing to hang on to along about Tuesday morning. It begins to wane. But if you teach them substance, teach them sound doctrine, teach them who they are in Christ, what they have, what He did for you, what I can do because of Him, what I have because of Him, then they, be, they mature. See, the mature Christian is the one that, that really camps from Romans to Jude. Are you listening? I had a young man that I grew up with. Met for dinner one night with some friends, and afterwards he wanted me to hang around there so he could talk to me. Everybody left, and he began to tell me how he was fighting depression all the time. He had all these problems emotionally that he was dealing with. And I sat and I listened to him for a while as he talked. And I said, you, you read your Bible every day? Oh, yes, read my Bible every day. And I said, uh, well, I told him, I said, I'll bet you, but, you know, you Christian wager, I'm not really bet him. But uh, some of you get that later. Uh, okay, it's one of those crowds. I said, I'll, I'll bet you this. I said, I'll bet you, you spend almost 100% of your Bible reading time in the Psalms and the Proverbs. And he said, well, that's absolutely right. He said, every time I'm feeling bad, I pull out David and have mercy on me, O God, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. O God, avenge me of my enemies. You know, he's just pulling out all those, those Psalms. Well, those are great. But you see, David was not of the same covenant that we are of. David did not have access to the things that we have access to. And so what you find out from Romans to Jude in the Bible is what belongs to you as a Christian. That's why it'll say Paul to the church at wherever. Well, that church is you. We are the church. You can even put your name in there. Paul to Heather Holler. And begin to read in there what belongs to Heather Holler. Are you listening? And when you find that out, it will cause you to grow and to mature. I know people that have been in the church. I mean, Pentecostal tongue-talking people pray. I mean, they pray an hour a day. Have for 50 years. And they are immature spiritually. Immature. And they think if they don't ever miss a service and they're always 30 minutes early in the prayer room and they, and they do this and do that, and they tithe, oh, they got to tithe. And they wear the hair just right and do all these things that they're mature. And that's not the case. Because you ask them some simple little thing about the new covenant and they don't know. And it's the new covenant that we live in. And I told this young man, I said, do this. For the next six months, don't even look at Psalms and Proverbs, you read only from Romans to Jude. He said, well, I don't think I can. I said, I think you can. If you can't, go buy you a cheap Bible and tear everything out but Romans to Jude. And don't look at anything else. 
and watch how you grow. I saw him six months later. He'd grown. He'd grown because he found out who he was. He didn't have to pray, oh, God, have mercy upon me according to thy steadfast mercy. You know, your, you know, your steadfastness. Because he found out God did already. He had mercy on us according to his steadfast love. He sent Jesus to the cross because he had mercy on us. Are you listening? And so we need to grow. But the purpose of preaching. And I got to the Pastor Eric's class and I said, you know, I could talk to you about how to preach, how to do this technique and closing statements and all this kind of stuff that they tell me I really never do when I preach. <laughs> Tonight is so homiletically poo-poo. I mean, <laughs> I've, already, I've already flunked the class. Reach up there and thump Nathan on the back of his head. Why do we preach? Some people are naturally gifted to preach. Some people learn it by, I think I got it by osmosis. I sat under a great preacher and just, he stirred up the call in me, but I listened to him most of my young life. And I got it by osmosis. I just kind of developed it that way. Some people go to classes and learn all the techniques and get it all just right. And however you got it, that's great. But why, why do I preach? Why? And I thought back to when I was a student at Rama. And in my second year, you went there two years. They may have a third year now, like CF and I. First day of my second year at Rama, Brother Kenneth E. Hagen Sr.'s class. And this was about a thousand member class. Now, you can't get into Rama unless you fill out an application and you have to put on there, I have been born again. And they would prefer that you have been filled with the Spirit and spoke with other tongues, but they'll get to that you know, later if you didn't. But you absolutely have to have had a born-again experience with the Lord in order to be admitted. Because the school is not there to evangelize. The school is to equip evangelists. And so, by the time you've gotten to second year, I would think, and I'm I'm a pretty good thinker, I would think that everybody in the class would at least be saved. In fact, I'm about 100% sure that they were. And Brother Hagen walked out, second year class. Now these are the people that are really dedicated because they've, they've made it through the first year and it's rough. And now they've started that second year. And he walked out, and as soon as they turned his microphone on, he said, on the 22nd day of April, 1933, at 405 North College Street, right over here in the city of McKinney, Texas, in the south bedroom. He was bedfast with an incurable heart condition, 15 years of age. Five doctors from the Mayo Clinic said he had to die. 
Nobody had lived past the age of 16 in medical history with his condition. It was an incurable heart condition and a blood disorder. And nobody had lived with either one of those past 16, let alone both. Five doctors said he had to die. And he said it 30 minutes past 7 p.m. There in that south bedroom at 405 North College Street, he said he felt his feet suddenly get cold. He felt his heart stop. And the coldness came up his legs and up through his body, through his belly. And when it got up to his chest, he said he fell out of his body. He died. He's telling the second year students this. He said, and I went down, 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 down. He said it was so dark. He said the farther down he went, he could see the lights of the earth above him like somebody was, would fall down a well. And the farther he got, the farther away those lights got above him until they disappeared altogether. And he said it was so dark. He said if you'd had a knife, it was like you could cut out a piece of the darkness with a knife. It was so thick and so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Down, down, until he slowed down his descent and he came to what he perceived were gates. And these gates opened up and he could see the flames of hell and hear the screams of hell through those gates. And he said something, some kind of a creature grabbed him by the shoulder in the back and began to push him toward those gates. And he said he did all that he could to try to, to slow his entrance into those gates. He was struggling with all he had. He said, and suddenly a voice from way up somewhere, a man's voice sounded like thunder and spoke a language he had never heard before. And it said everything there shook. And when that voice spoke that creature, he said he was afraid to look back. He didn't want to see what it looked like. He just knew it was a creature. He said that thing let go of him and he began to ascend up, up, up up, up again. Then he could see the lights of the earth getting closer and closer. He said that he came up right beside his, or at the foot of his bed there on, at 405 North College Street. He came up right at the foot of the bed and leaped over into his body. And his body <gasps> caught his breath again. And his grandmother was there beside him. She was crying. And, and he's trying to tell her goodbye. He said, I think I'm going again. He could feel that coldness striking him again. And so he's trying to tell her goodbye and tell her that he loved her when all of a sudden his heart stopped again and he fell out of his body again and began to descend down, 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 down into the darkness, he said. Telling second year students, warning them about hell. Down, 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 down. Again, the creature grabbed him. Again, the gates of hell opened. He could see the flames. He said they were giant orange flames with white crests on the top of them, like waves of water, only they were fire. He said being pushed into those gates. Again, the voice sounded from somewhere way out there in a language he didn't understand. And again, the creature turned loose of him and he began to ascend up again. Up, 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 up. And this time he came out. There was a porch around the house then. It's not there now, a wraparound porch. He said he came up on the outside of that porch and went in through the wall and leapt back into his body. This time feet first through his mouth, he said. Right into his body. And he caught his breath again. And he's, his mama's there and everybody's crying and he's trying to tell everybody bye and, and trying to tell 
telling him, tell Grandpa I love him. Tell him, tell my brother and sister I love him. Because I'm going again. I don't think I'm going to come back this time. And he said again, that, that coldness struck him. And when it hit his chest, he began to go down, 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 down the third time now. And he got down to the gates of hell. And that creature grabbed a hold of him. And this time as he's going down, he's trying to make sense of all this. Because after all, when he was nine years old, he came down at the First Baptist Church in McKinney and he answered the altar call and he shook the preacher's hand and they led him immediately to the baptistry and they baptized him in water and he's a member of the church. His name is on the roll at the church. After all, he shouldn't be going that way because he's a member of the church. And the whole time now as the creature's pushing, he's crying out, God! I'm a member of the church. I've been baptized in water. And he told us that day, he said, he said, I can't tell you how I screamed. He said, if I even told you a little bit of how I was screaming for dear life, he said it would scare everybody in this auditorium. The screams of someone resisting going through the gates of hell. Because he knew once he got on the other side of those gates, there was no coming back. And he's screaming, I'm a member of the church! I've been baptized in water. The voice sounded again. The creature let him go, but this time, on his way up, he got a little revelation, I guess. This is his spirit man now, not his body. He began to say, Father, I come to You in the name of Jesus. Forgive me of all my sins. I accept Jesus as my Savior. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. He said he came up this time right beside the bed. He leapt over into his body and the whole time he's screaming, Jesus, save me. And the moment his spirit was back in his body, his body picked it up. In the spirit he said, Jesus! And his body went, save me! And he kept screaming, Jesus, save me. They said they could hear him two blocks down the street. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. And he said that whole thing lasted 10 minutes and at 7.40 p.m., He was born again. Telling us that about hell. And then he said later, now four months later he died again once, but this time he went up. He said he got about as far as the peak of the roof of the house and Jesus was there and said, you'll have to go back. Go back to the earth. Your work is not done yet. That was 1933. His work was not done until January the 19th, 2003. And some of you are here today because your mama or your daddy or your grandma or your grandpa got saved or healed or delivered because of Kenneth E. Hagin's ministry. I'm here today. Because of Kenneth E. Hagin's ministry. But then he went on to tell us in the 1950s, early 50s, not too long after World War II had ended, he had a second cousin that lived right up here in Sherman. And her mother was the cousins with his mother. And this woman 
was an agnostic or an atheist. Not sure which. But she didn't want to know anything about God. And there's one thing she hated in the world more than Adolf Hitler. And that was preachers. And all the preachers around Sherman, if they saw her, if they were walking around the downtown area over here and they saw her, they would quickly cross the street and pass on the other side so they wouldn't have any kind of contact with her because she would get violent. And she'd want to punch them and scream at them and cause a scene. You preachers are only in it for money. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no God. You just want people's money. You're playing on the feeble-minded. And she'd get mean and ugly and cuss at them. And so Brother Hagin was ministering over there in Sherman. And he found some of his cousins, second cousin came and found him. And she said, Mama's dying. Would you please come and pray for her? He said, well, sure, I'll, I'll go over and pray for her. And he said they, he got over to the house and they led him through the house to the back room where they had a hospital bed set up and she was, they had the bed cranked up. She's half sitting up. He said her mouth was open. You could hear like a gurgling sound in her throat. And he said her eyes were open, but they never moved. They never blinked. They were just set like marbles. And her daughter walked around to the other side of the bed and she said, Mama? No response, just gurgling in her throat. Mama? No response. Mama? She said, what, 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 what? She said, do you know who this is? My baby. My baby. Brother Hagin said she was the baby, but she was 50 years old by that time. Always the baby. She said, your cousin Pat's son is here. Kenneth. Kenneth Hagin. You know, the preacher. He said, boy, when she said preacher... She said the eyes never moved. They never blinked. Body never moved. She went, Kenneth! Kenneth! Tell me there's no God. Tell me there's no hell. Tell me there's no hell. They said she just lost all control. They couldn't calm her down. Tell me there's no hell. She said, oh, it's so dark. It's so dark. It's so dark. Tell me there's no hell. And they had to just leave the house. They couldn't do anything for her. And as they, when they got out of the house and left, she died. Brother Hagin standing there with tears in his eyes said, and she went to hell that day because she believed there was no hell. There was no God. Brother Hagin's telling us this. Bible school students. Is he trying to get somebody saved? What was he doing? In the spring and summer of 2001, I spent all those months in Vancouver, Canada. Pastor Henry Hinn, Benny Hinn's younger brother, has a church there. and He was traveling a lot with Benny doing crusades, and so I went up. We're good friends, and I filled in did a lot of pastoral stuff for him during that summer. And my best friend from here flew up in May 2001. He had never been to Canada. And so I was showing him around. And his birthday is on the 11th. And so on May the 11th, we went and had a nice birthday lunch 
right in front of the largest waterfall in the Americas, the tallest waterfall in the Americas, over 1,100 feet tall, Shannon Falls, beautiful place. And if you've never been up there, the Canadian Rockies are amazing. So he spent his birthday there. Then, then another pastor in town, a lady pastor, she had known my friend, and she said, oh, please come to my house. I want to cook a birthday dinner for him tonight. Well, sure, we'll come over. And so their family was there, and we had a nice birthday dinner. And so we left her house, and we're headed back down to Henry's house. And there is a road in Vancouver that follows along the banks of the Fraser River. And there's several bridges over it. There's some suspension bridges over it. It's, you know, it's a beautiful thing they've got going up there. And so this river road, we're on this road, and we need to cross under what's called the Queensboro Bridge, named after Queen Elizabeth, obviously. The Queensboro Bridge. We want to cross under that, come around and cross over it to get back down into the part of town where Henry lives. And we were about, I'd say, half a mile, maybe a little more from the bridge, and the traffic came to a complete halt. I mean, it didn't move at all. So we put it in park, and we're watching. And in the darkness, about 11 at night, in the darkness down under the bridge, we could see, I don't know how many emergency vehicles of flashing red and blue lights all over down there. And so I'm, we're sitting there talking and watching the lights, and all of a sudden, I don't know if it was a fully open vision or if I went into a trance because all of my physical senses uh, were suspended. But it was like I suddenly went blind. <laughs> Everything went completely dark. I mean, pitch dark. I couldn't see any light at all. And my eyes are wide open. And in the darkness, at a distance, and for me, it's, it's about the same size my fingers are, I, the way I can illustrate it to you. Out here in the distance, I could see a man falling through the darkness backwards. His face was pointing upwards. He's falling backwards. His arms and his legs are, are flailing around as he's falling in the darkness. I don't know if you've seen, especially like in Kansas, and I'm sure they used them the last few weeks, where they have cellars under their house. And so they'll have a door on the side of the house, or two doors usually, and they're set at about a 45-degree angle, these double doors that open, and it goes down up under the house. And so all of a sudden in the darkness, these huge doors or gates set at about a 45-degree angle, they popped open as this man was falling. And when they came open, now this all happened within seconds. I mean, within seconds. But it's just as real to me at this very moment as it was in 2001. You see, the spiritual things never get old. They never get old. Things of the natural, things of the mind, they, they can get old and memories can fade. But when something is of the Spirit... Paul said, you know, the outward man perishes, but the inward man, the spirit is renewed every day. It's everything, every day it's new. And so these things are new. It's just as new to me now as it was then. He was falling, and these gates flew open, and the noise, this horrific roar of human voices by the millions screaming in the worst pain you could ever imagine. In one voice, this awful roar came from that opening in the darkness. And two hands, bigger than this man, 
bigger than that man, that were made of solid fire, came through those doors and grabbed that falling man and pulled him through those gates faster than he could fall. And those gates slammed shut. The whole thing happened like, ah! and he was gone. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at the flashing red and blue lights again. And my friend said, are you okay? And I said, why? He said, look. And I looked like somebody had literally dumped a bucket of water on the top of my head. I was wet. My hair was wet. Everything on my body was wet all the way down to the car seat. Wet. From sweat, I guess. My physical body in that trance-like state, I guess I just, all that sweat came out of me. I don't know. But I saw it. And I said to my friend, there was a man in that accident and he just died and he went to hell. Next morning on the television, the news, it was all over the local news, a man with 36 drunk driving convictions was driving drunk again in a little car and got on the wrong side of the river road going up under Queensboro Bridge and hit an 18-wheeler head on. And the emergency people were there and they tried and they tried for a long time to cut him out of that wreckage. It was The car was so mangled. They tried to cut him out of that wreckage with the jaws of life and whatever they used. But at some point while they were trying to cut him out and trying to keep him alive, he expired. He died. And that was all they knew to tell. But I knew the rest of the story. Pulled into hell. What was Brother Hagin trying to tell us? He wasn't trying to get us saved from hell. It's not necessarily the people in the world that need to be afraid of hell and that need to be aware of it. But we that preach the gospel. Why do I preach? Why? Is it for the money? <laughs> That people don't know. Is it for fame? We're not even full. It's true. Is it because it makes us feel good sometimes? No. In my heart of hearts, for me, God sent me to preach so that somebody would hear. Because if they hear, they'll believe. And if they believe, they might just call. And if they'll call, then that person will never be. I will not be responsible for one of those. May the 11th just passed us a couple of weeks ago. 18 years now. That man, whoever he was, has been through those gates 
and can never get out. His voice joined all the roar of those other millions of voices in torment, in hell, 18 years. And I think about it every May the 11th, Heather. I think about it. I can't get it out of my mind. I can't get it out of my spirit. That man. You want to know why Brother Hagin was telling us that? Because if you're going to be a minister, if you're going to preach the gospel, you've got to have one cause. What is it? Don't let one person go to hell. That is our one cause, truly. You may have other causes in your life, but that one, that one, that one person, whoever they are, that's why when the Holy Spirit prompts you, you tell them. You tell them. Tell them about Jesus. Live your life so they see Jesus. I have friends that I have lived the life in front of for years and years and years. There's some people just telling them won't do it. Muslims, especially Arab Muslims, are that way. You can tell them, but they're like, show me. You have to live it. I told your father-in-law this not too long ago, standing in that restaurant. John Holler, bless his heart. And I told him he broke down and began to cry, standing there. What's that woman's name, that cook? Where were we at? That white-headed cook on TV. We went to a restaurant. Paula Dean. Crazy southern woman. Standing right there in the Paula Dean gift shop, waiting on our table, John Holler began to cry when I told him this. I said, John, my friend, for over 15 years, a Muslim man, Jordanian. I've just lived the life in front of him. After seven or eight years, he would begin to ask me, pray for my daughter. Pray for this. I said, sure. And then I found out January last year, he was in the hospital. They, someone called and said, he's dying. He got the flu. It's about when we had that bad epidemic of the flu. The hospitals are full. He has the flu. It turned into pneumonia. His kidneys are shut down. His liver shutting down. He's, he's dying. And as soon as I got off the phone, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, don't let him die. He put it on me. I'm, like, I'm not a doctor. Don't let him die. I knew what God meant. We have authority that we don't use. I went up to that hospital. They said, oh, you got to put on a gown. I put on a gown. you got to put on a mask. I put on a mask. you got to put on gloves. I ain't putting on any gloves. I'm going to lay hands on this man. He's coming out of here. Really? You're taking a risk. I'll take the risk. Oh, he looked terrible. Terrible. Never seen anybody look so sick. Fever. When I touched him, I mean, he, he was hot. Like I could put your hand on the side of an oven. Hot. Raging fever. Dying. And I leaned over, and his Arabic name is Mahmoud. I said, Mahmoud, would you like for me to pray for you? And he, he couldn't hardly talk. He said, please. And I asked God, how do I pray? Because he doesn't have a covenant. The stripes of Jesus don't apply to him. He's not in Christ. Are you listening? 
If you listen, I'll help some of you here. You can reach any Muslim like this. He said, he's not in covenant. I can't go in there and say, by his stripes you were healed, because he's not in Christ. And God, the only thing God said to me was, do not spare to use the name of Jesus, the Son of God. He said it just like that. Because you see, you know, with churches, we put our tenets of faith. Baptism, Bible, salvation, communion, tithing. No, I'm just kidding. But some, some do. Baptist, you know. Anyway, it's true, but anyway. <laughs> One Baptist preacher went to visit a man that was sick, and he didn't know what to do with him. He says, have you been tithing? He said, Yes, I have. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Islam has one tenet of faith. There is one God, and He has no Son. And you find it written around the perimeter of the mosques, everywhere in the world you go in Arabic. There is one Allah, He has no Son. Jesus, God said, use the name of Jesus, the Son of God. I said, okay. I said, can I pray? He said, please. And I said, Lord. And then it just came up out of my spirit. It was the most irreverent prayer. You know, we don't know oh, our wonderful father. We bring this young man to you. Oh, man, actually, he's in his 70s. Bring this man to you. No, none of that stuff. I put my hand on his fevered head. And I looked up. And out of my spirit came these words. I said, Hey God, do you remember your friend Abraham? This is his grandson. And I'm going to tell you, I have been in miracle services and healing services all over the world. I have never felt the healing anointing fall so suddenly and so powerfully in a place like it did in that, that hospital isolation room. It fell like a tornado hit in there. And then I said, in the name of Jesus, the Son of the living God, I curse influenza and I curse this pneumonia and I command it to die. And I command His body to live and not die. And all of His organs to regenerate and live and be healed now in the name of Jesus, the Son of God. And the Muslim man pushed himself up on his elbows and looked me right in the eye and he said, Amen. up, took the gown off, heading out of the hospital, had a friend with me. Before I got to the doors to head out to the parking lot, it suddenly dawned on me, and I stopped my friend, I caught him by the arm, and I said, do you realize what I just did? He said, what? I said, I twisted God's arm. He's like, what? If you twist somebody's arm, you're going to do it whether you want to or not. I twisted God's You bring up Abraham, his friend. This is his grandson that you said was blessed from way back there before there was an Ishmael or an Isaac. You said all of those generations would be blessed. This is his grandson. Direct descendant. And God said, that's what I wanted. That the next day, the Muslim family is a big family. They're coming up to me. Thank you for your spiritual help. Oh, 
But by the time I got to the car in the parking lot at the hospital, his wife texted, fever just broke. Doctors are optimistic. We're, we just got down the elevator. Fever just broke. I saw him at lunch just a couple of days ago. Doing great. Doing great. Hallelujah. And he credits Jesus, the son of the living God, for healing him. A Muslim. Hallelujah. Live it. Live it so that that Muslim man, so that an atheist, so that a Hindu, so that some preachers, you'd be surprised, so that some theology professors, they don't go to hell. That's what Brother Hagin was trying to tell us. Why do we preach? So that somebody will hear and they'll believe and they'll call and they'll be saved. That's why we preach. That is our cause. Our one cause preeminent above all others. So that somebody will be saved. Hallelujah. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Christians praying, please. There may be one here. In fact, there's somebody watching on the internet right now. On the coffee table in front of you is some cocaine. And you don't know how you got onto this website and watching this. You've already done a line and you're getting ready to do another one. And the Holy Spirit has arrested you. This is your night. Tonight, your eternal destination will change. You won't be that one. You're going to be one going up for the rest of us. It changes tonight. There may be another here in this place or another one watching. And maybe you never understood just how real hell is. And my friend, let me assure you, there is a heaven to gain, but there is a hell to shun. And you want to shun it with everything that you can. And there's only one way to shun hell, and that's to accept Jesus into your heart and make Him your Lord and Savior. And so tonight, all of you just pray it with me that are here. Heavenly Father, I come to You in the name of Jesus. And I ask You to forgive me of all my sins. I ask You to wash me in the blood of Jesus. I ask You to cleanse me. Jesus, come into my heart right now. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Make me a new creature. Tonight, I want to be born again. And so I give my life to You. So take my life and change it. Make me a new creature. I believe I receive it right now.
In Jesus' name, from this moment forward, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am saved. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.